Welcome to Life Extension. Life Extension is my series where I interview the scientists and pioneers of longevity. We're investigating the new frontiers of longevity for people and planet. Morgan Levine was a rising star at Yale working on longevity until she got stolen by one of the buzziest companies in the longevity world. It's backed by a bunch of billionaires, Jeff Bezos and everyone else, called Altos Labs. On this episode, we get to talk to her about her work, about Altos, about why she did it, and really get a perspective on what those folks are thinking. Are they about to ship the cure? Some kind of magic is on its way. And really get some insight on on what's on the agenda at some of these mysterious and super potent groups like Altos. What's coming soon? I am so curious, and we talk with Morgan Levine about it. Coming right up. Well, Morgan, there is no other way to start than to just ask you about probably the most exciting thing in longevity to appear on the scene in the last few years. I mean, Altos Labs is just a juggernaut level, ambitious, heavily funded brainiacs from around the world all joining to, we just got to start there. So I agree. Altos is super exciting, although they don't define themselves as a longevity company, which I know a lot of the people in longevity are not happy about that. But You know, I think it touches so many aspects in health. It's important for aging. It's important for health span. It's important for treatment and prevention of disease. And I think the new paradigm of how they've structured it, hopefully, will actually allow us to make some pretty exciting breakthroughs in the science. Okay, well, let's talk about it, right? I mean, longevity, I think, is sort of up for grabs. It's not a medical condition, nor is aging, really. And I think a lot of folks that have been working at the frontiers of this stuff, you know, have been trying to either categorize it or disaggregate it, talk about it as a process or as an old car getting beat up or, you know, something at the cellular level, maybe not, it's a macro level. I mean, maybe before we understand what Altos is trying to do, we got to understand what is the conceptual sort of framework that gets it going and, and maybe the extent to which that harmonizes with your view of what is aging or what is longevity. I would say probably every scientist, especially working in aging, has a different definition for what they think aging is or what causes aging. I like to think of it from kind of a systems perspective, where it's basically a biological system is a very intricate, specified system that, you know, everything needs to be arranged in a certain way to create what we define as life. And I just think of aging as a divergence from that state of kind of optimal functioning And you can say, you know, that's what happens in disease as well. And whether, you know, aging is a disease is, I think people debate this a lot, or how is aging related to disease? And at least from Altus's perspective, the question is, how do you maintain the cell health and the cell kind of functional fidelity and not allow or prevent or even reverse it back to that state? when there's been some dysregulation that's occurred. So at the cell level is where you define aging? Uh, So I think it starts even below the cell level. So again, thinking of systems, you have this idea of emergence. So things are probably starting at the lower, lowest levels of biological organization. Once those reach some critical state, it emerges and you see the manifestations of it at a higher level. So I think everything that we see as aging, so, you know, whether it's wrinkles, whether it's functional declines, 
is probably starting on a much lower level of biological organism. Would you say that's the through line then also about the research agenda at Altos? I mean, because what you're describing is staking out a piece of territory in the world of longevity and aging, right? Like there is a community of researchers who believe that cellular aging, kind of senolytics, all this getting things rolling, and then it kind of manifests all the way to like gray hair. Whereas there's another community that's like, well, maybe at the population or the species level, there's some kind of evolutionary forces and certain things that are taken care of and not taken care of. And perhaps there's yet another community that's, you know, the old car community that that might connect with Aubrey de Grey, which is like, you're kind of getting banged up through stochastic uh, noise. And at some point, there's enough damage that you're just dead. And so maybe those are the three flows. Would you see the world that way? Or is that not the way to think about it? I mean, I think they probably each kind of have some overlap. So there may be a little fuzzy, but I can see how people could kind of fall into the different, the three different ones. And I think at Altus, you know, we're really interested in the state of a cell or whether you can even define health in a cell and whether if you move, you know, a population of cells to that state, whether then you would see restoration or of kind of tissue organ functioning or even prevention of further decline. My one big issue with the car analogy, I know it's conceptually easy for people to imagine, but a car is not a living system. So it's not dynamic and the pieces aren't connected in the same kind of holistic way that you would think in a living system. It it can't respond. So I think that analogy doesn't always hold up, although I think it's easy for people to imagine aging as that. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you have your own favorite simple analogy when you're in front of uh, high school students or something? I mean, the one I, it's not really an analogy, but the one thing I've used, so I don't know if you know, like sand art where you pour in like different colored sand. So I think of a living system, it has to be arranged in a very specific way. And anything you do can cause a little movement, except again, this is not a dynamic system. So the, the idea is that, you know, with time, you get this movement away from the initial state. But I think the difference in a living system is that that's not just this accidental perturbation. The system's responding and any response can move it away and that kind of stuff. Well, tell me a little bit the story then of your engagement with the area of, you know, I guess it's gerontology, right? And um, maybe pathology, which is the old school field that's been enlarged, I suppose, to this set of issues. And, you know, your research agenda that led you to the moment that you're like, okay, I'm going to get off of the tenure track at Yale and join this like insanely ambitious like tech bro company that's going to reinvent everything that thousands of scientists have been working on, but apparently make it all better and faster and, and cheaper. Give me your rationale for that crazy scheme. I'll just start with, I've been in aging research since I started doing research. So I've always been very interested in aging. I think it's because my father was in his mid fifties when I was born. So it's something I always was concerned about. I recognized it as an early age. So I did my PhD in aging and then went on to do a postdoc at UCLA and then Yale, where I was studying mostly epigenetic changes that occur with aging and how that says something about the cell state and then even the the tissue and organismal state. I think for me, the move to Altos was really driven by the idea. We all get into science because we love the science and love the research. And not to fault academia, I was very happy in my position, but you're doing a lot less of that, I think, in an academic position than you had imagined you would be. And just the idea to get back and just focus on the science and to be able to take more risks in your science. When you're applying for a grant, you have to have a lot of preliminary data that says, we're pretty sure this is going to work. It's not super high risk. 
But for me, the exciting thing is the, the complete unknowns, the high risk projects that who knows if it's going to work, but you want to try it anyway. So I think Altos was the opportunity to do that and work also with a team of scientists that are leaders in, in the world, in the field, and just get to grow, I think, as a scientist. Okay, so it's like a personal journey and a personal interest draw. But surely there was some pitch beyond, hey, join us in the commercial sector where you can just run a lab and we'll fund it. I mean, there's plenty of pharmas and others that you might have joined. Give me the sales pitch over a drink at the uh, the bar in New Haven. Yeah, I mean, to me, it, it took the parts of academia that I liked. So the scientific freedom or academic freedom. So no one's telling me what projects I have to work on or that I'm a part of a group working on this drug or whatever it may be. I like academia. I can still set my research agenda, although even more so because I don't have to go out and secure an R01 or some other funding to do a project. I can just kind of do it. So for me, that was the draw that I think is somewhat different from most private sector companies. And then I think the focus was very in line with kind of the way I think about things and the types of questions I'm really interested in. And so, you know, now now that you're doing it, I mean, I guess even with your current research agenda with your lab, it may be a little bit narrower than your more macro view of what is aging and, you know, what's up with your biological age versus your chronological age? What are the biomarkers that are relevant for that? And how can we manipulate that? Do you want to give me like your sense of that landscape, there's so many different points of view, right? Like there's folks that think it is all expressed in, in the epigenetic information that you might take in this kind of sample. There's other folks that are talking about other types of markers. I mean, just what's the right way to think about the clock? We work mostly on epigenetic data, but not exclusively. We're interested in what's happening at the protein level, what's happening at the transcriptome level, what's happening in terms of extracellular matrix. Semi-agnostic, although my background's been mostly in epigenetics and I find epigenetics to be really fascinating because I think of it as the operating system of the cell. So is basically the program that's telling the cell how to function and gives it its state. And what we're really interested in aging is how are states of cells changing with aging, or even can we actually actively change the state of the cell? And we think a lot of that is encoded at the epigenetic level. I'm not someone who thinks all of aging is due to epigenetics by any means. There's, I mean, so many things change at the cellular, molecular, physiological level that kind of all add up to what we see as aging. How accurate and meaningful is it? Like if I take that Elysium test that you were part of called index, I mean, is it telling me something a hell of a lot better than just looking in the mirror or checking my cholesterol and BMI and stuff? At least when you look at populations, it's more predictive of disease risk or mortality risk than, you know, looking in the mirror, doing a self-assessment, or even taking cholesterol, some of these more standard measures. That being said, I would never say like, this is your true biological age. I don't think people even have a single true biological age. So I think of it as just giving people a little bit more insight into their health, but there's no ground truth. So it's not like we're 99% accurate in measuring biological age, because there's no way to actually assess that. And I mean, but and if you're working in reversing it, right, if you're like proponent of the Yamanaka factors and whatever, like, presumably, you do want to change some kind of measurable thing. And I suppose these are these expressed in the epigenetics. And, yeah. and, and is that the strategy that you guys are pursuing? I mean, is that the idea with Altos is to figure out how to apply to certain systems in the body, either the Yamanaka factors or something else that 
helps to slow down, reverse, you know, create some kind of different immune reaction to some of the signs of aging, go eat up dead cells. I mean, give me a sense for the strategy. You know, a big one kind of that you mentioned is how do you even develop a marker of this thing you're trying to target, whether we call it aging, whether we call it loss of health or loss of homeostasis. And the epigenetic clocks are one piece of that, and they do an okay job, but they're not the whole picture. And I think one thing is, can we do a better job at actually quantifying something about the health of a cell or the age of a cell? And then ultimately, the whole point of that is because the goal would be to intervene in that. And it's not necessarily that it's just going to be Yamanaka factor interventions, but what are the different interventions that you could actually develop? And to some extent, once you actually understand what things are dictating the state of the cell, that also gives you insight into potentially how to intervene in that. That seems like an academically complete point of view, but perhaps you have a more opinionated angle on where the action is. So I'm still very much in the basic. I think we still need to do a much better job computationally at quantifying the thing we're actually trying to target. That's actually why I got into studying biological age or trying to quantify biological age in the first place is because I was in a program and everyone talks about is aging modifiable or reversible and we had no way to actually measure aging. I mean, in model organisms, you just look at lifespan. So I got very interested in that and I think we're still at the very beginning there. And there's, we can do so much better. Um, So that's something I'm very interested. What are the features of a healthy cell versus an unhealthy cell or an aged cell versus a young cell? And then from there, do we have any way to actually program that or direct that cell state? But I think we're a little ways off from that. I wanna pause for a minute here and talk to you about Life Extension Ventures. It's the reason I'm doing this series for In The Know. Life Extension Ventures is a venture fund dedicated to working towards the longevity of people and planet. The future of humanity depends on our planet surviving. And its potential can really only be unlocked if we focus on some of the technologies, some of the breakthrough science that's making it possible for us to live longer and better lives. Life Extension Ventures is a venture fund focused on supporting visionary founders that are working towards longevity of people and planet. It's the future of humanity that they're working on, and we want to back them. I spent a lot of time as a science person, as an academic, as a student, and then I spent even more time becoming a company builder and venture investor. And with Life Extension Ventures, I'm bringing both of those things together with my partner, Yaki Berenger. It's got a similar story. And we're out there finding folks who want to build companies that can really make a difference for human life. We'll need this planet if we want to survive, and we'll need to focus on these breakthrough technologies if we really want to unlock human potential. So here we are doing it and sharing with you in this episode is uh, some of the breakthrough science that we've been learning about and trying to back. This job of measurement is really important. And there's like a lot of consumer sort of tests. And I guess what the point you're making is like well below the surface area of the consumer tests, even in the most hardcore academic work, people are still kind of debating what are they actually measuring? They're not really sure what the drivers are. And then what's like a computer, like what would be like a, a salient difference between two different measurements that you take? So even for cell age, because it is very frequently 
bandied about by proponents of this particular line of reasoning that the senolytic cells, this is like a huge problem and they're like all over the place and they correlate really closely to cancer and other kinds of dysfunction and poor immune responses. But I guess you're highlighting how crude that characterization is. We don't know what is young or old very well among cells. I mean, when it comes to senescent cells, there's only a few things that we can say are defining characteristics. So one, that they don't proliferate and two, they are kind of anti-apoptotic. But actually there's enormous heterogeneity in senescent cells if you look at kind of other molecular features of them. And we have no idea, are there some that are actually beneficial or not harmful? Are there others that are actually driving disease? And in aging research, we have a, a lot of problems in definitions. I think that's probably, how do we characterize things? What's our definition of aging, which is kind of what we started with. And there's essentially no agreement I find in the field. Who else is working at such a foundational level in this area? I mean, like to me, the big eye opener now of, of speaking with you, and I think for everyone that was curious what Alpha's Lab is up to, it's actually not a magic wand, quick fix, let's rally a bunch of people and launch a rocket at all. Like you're debating definitions, taking measurements and trying to figure out even what the playing field looks like. And that is clearly going to be like a high dollar, long term, very ambitious project. Who else is even working at such a fundamental level then? on aging and longevity? I mean, there's definitely people in academia, but yeah, one of the draws for me at Altos was the ability to still do basic science. I think the leadership rightfully recognized that there's so much we still don't understand. And basically, you know, there might be things that are, you know, on the horizon that can come to the clinic, but probably the really big things are going to need a lot of time spent in just the basic research and understanding the system and actually developing better definitions and that kind of thing. So we have kind of a long time horizon to just figure out what is going on in biology and aging and and health. If you had to characterize with some of the other sort of high profile groups, like maybe Calico or some of the other projects where they're kind of pointing their effort, how would you roughly map the the world of like these ambitious longevity projects, right? If there's some folks that are on, on the basic science level, are there some fo- folks that have different kinds of moonshots that they're chasing? I mean, Calico, I think, does try to do basic science. Again, I'm not on the inside of Calico, so I can't say what the thinking is there. But, you know, based on the people they've hired, they are also interested in basic science. I don't know if I know the exact direction that they're looking to go in or whether it differs from ours I think Altos, more than Calico, does not define itself as an aging and longevity company. I don't know if Calico doesn't either, but I think that's a perception as well. And then I think a lot of the other companies out there, I don't know specific examples, are very focused on a specific target or a specific application, whereas I would say we're a little bit more agnostic and we have a very diverse group of PIs and labs working on essentially almost any topic you can think of in this realm. If you were not working on this, where you are now, and I I don't mean narrowly construed, like, you know, working with Altos on the measurement of of cell age, what's some other exciting thing in either the fields near or far that you could imagine yourself being at? I'm always fascinated by complex system science and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's hard to say. I feel like I've been so 
focused on the I haven't stepped back to think, well, if I wasn't doing this, what would I be doing? Oh, I see. You don't like refresh the homepage of Science Daily or, or PubMed or something looking for some particular breakthrough on some topic that particularly fascinates you? I think I do. But I actually think I am fairly broad. I actually change course quite a bit. So I feel like when things come up that fascinate me, I tend to actually move towards them anyway. So yeah, I can't think of something that I haven't tried to integrate that I am particularly fascinated by. But I mean, developmental biology is still very fascinating and actually very relevant, I think, for a lot of what we study in aging. Yeah, that is a theme. So for, you know, how children become adults, basically, right? And it's a topic that does seem to come up a lot that many of these kind of magical cures for aging are things that you should have started when you were 10 years old, you know, whatever these like calorie restriction and whatnot the medicine comes too late. Well, you know, one other theme for you, just a last little package of questions is, um, so when I finished my PhD, we only used one piece of software, which was just like a word processor. And there was no other software that we used at all. And I'm just curious what you feel like sitting, you know, at your desk right now are some of the coolest new tools or packages or platforms that people are using that you think are just totally transforming the field, even opposed to five years ago, when you were like doing your own dissertation or 10 years ago or whenever it was. It's also just the computing power that we have now. So I don't know if it's necessarily just the software, but just the ability to actually analyze enormous amounts of data and try to make sense out of them. I mean, we do a lot of work in R and Python and more looking at kind of manifold learning and unsupervised machine learning and some actual neural net supervised learning. I don't know if there's a specific one that's like, causing the big breakthrough. I think it's just our ability to actually analyze data in tons of different ways simultaneously to try and get at the same answer. How commercial are the tools? Like you just moved from one huge research institution to a new nascent one. Did you find yourself like logging back into the same platforms or like porting over some data sets and importing them into somebody else's instance? I mean, most of what we use is open source. I am literally just using the same thing. I have a new machine or we have new kind of computational infrastructure. So I just had to basically download the same things that I was using before. I still have some of my old scripts I can use for things. So yeah, that didn't change very much. For me. Is there the specter of some big uh, sort of software driven kind of infrastructure provider? I mean, it seems like it happened in a whole bunch of areas because you described your work as essentially being a hacker who is using a lot of open source, gluing it all together. There's a few standards everyone's using, right? You're like, you're right, you know, it seems like it, it the kind of thing that ought to start congealing t- together, or is that not going to happen because it's science and science resists all capitalism? I think it is, right? You find these kind of attractor states where people start, you know, moving to certain things all together. I kind of like the, you know, still sampling the landscape and using all these different applications, whether they give you kind of a similar answer to a question. And I think that's where you find more of the real truth. You know, you don't have a biased model because you got the same answer from four different methods or something like that. I don't know if that answers your question. I was just probing around. I mean, a lot of times people just talk about the results and they don't talk about the work. I'm just hunting around for, you know, how are people doing the work that they're doing? And so, yeah, that was quite interesting. I mean, it reminds me of, you know, just like a developer in a computer science department 15 or 20 years ago, and you guys are building your own tools and building some consensus around them, creating some shared libraries, doing some data sharing. And it's just accelerating the pace of science, right? I mean, because there's probably this big open spirit of sharing and you can have my scripts and, you know, whatever. 
which is quite cool. But Morgan, it's been uh, amazing talking with you. Thank you very much for sparing a bit of energy to describe the very ambitious line that you're on. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.